0: When I was in Ireland, I had pen pals, and there. But then I got on really well with one, uh, and his name was David Filipando. and we sort of came out to each other. And so, I devised this plan that I would get to L.A. and stay with him. I got off the bus, walked out of the station, and a flatbed truck full of drag queens came tearing around the corner, and they were all screaming and waving. And you know that thing where I'm like, oh, well, I, I knew it was gay, but I, I didn't know it was this gay. <laughs> so I came in here uh, to promote a book and you were uh, being very kind of mischievous and teasing me and saying, oh, come work at Virgin, come work, it's lovely here. And I, two things. One, it was lovely here. I could see my house. We're on the 17th floor, it's a gorgeous day. The other thing was that you were a different person. And I thought that was really telling and and I walked away thinking, actually that's not a bad idea. And then and then Virgin got in touch with my
1: agent. About a minute later. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. As as my footsteps were echoing down the corridor. So I'm lying on the doormat and this isn't conscious. I didn't think about it. But I remember um saying to the old lady, Can you hold my hand? And she looked shocked. She looked kind of like taken aback, but sort of went, Okay. And she did. And that must be such a basic human thing. And it must drive so much of our life in terms of relationships that we, we want to be with someone when we die. and Because in that moment, lying on that doormat, I did.
1: That is the voice of the great and powerful Graham Norton, who has signed up to come and work with me and the gang and all the lovely people, all the boys and girls, all the ladies and germs on the 17th floor of the mighty news tower at Virgin Radio from Saturday the 9th of January at 9.30. But not only on Saturdays, he's also on on Sundays at 9.30 till 12.30. So, Graham Norton, double bubble. There you go, Saturdays and Sundays from 9.30 through till 12.30 on Virgin Radio for at least three years. That's his contract, minimum of three years. I probably shouldn't have said that, but there you go, too late now. What a chat we had, by the way. And that whole chat, over two hours worth coming up, in a moment or two. But first, may I tell you that today's episode is brought to you by the Sunday Times Life Lessons with added How to Wow, for which tickets are on sale right now at lifelessonsfestival.com. Life Lessons was an instant hit earlier this year, indoors at the Barbican, when it was still winter. So hopefully next year it will be an absolute smash as we're holding it outdoors at the amazing Chiswick House in early spring. Our three-day inspirational festival is back for its second year in 2021 from Friday, May 14th to Sunday, May 16th, with wise words and super intelligent wit and wisdom from a sparkling lineup of speakers, including Graham Norton, Catlin Moran, Ruby Wax, Dr. Wrong, and Chatterjee, Bernardine Evaristo, Brian Gordon, Kimberly Wilson, Professor Robert Thomas, Kate Humble, Jay Blades, Alif Shafak, Majid Majid, and many, many more. There'll be talks, interviews, workshops, classes, tens of thousands. Thousands of books and exhibitors, plus some very special food and drink available to keep you fueled and fired up all day long. Plus, we'll be recording our first ever How to Wow live podcast with the likes of, he's already booked, Professor Brian Cox. I honestly can't wait and I'd love to see you there. There's never been a more apt time to consider rebooting and rethinking our lives together in the presence of great thinkers such as the crew that are going to be attending Life Lessons with added How to Wow. As I say, tickets are on sale at lifelessonsfestival.com. Com. And this episode is also brought to you by our friends at Athletic Greens. By the way, I've run out of mine. Seriously. Brett! Brett, where's the order? I'm going to have to order it myself for my own podcast. Every morning, Tash, my wife and I go scoop-da-loop with one heap scoopful of this all-round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 Vitamins, minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multi-mineral, probiotic, green superfood, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy recovery, immunity, and digestion. I've been on it for about four weeks now and I feel genuinely different. My skin is smoother. I love a nap in the day. I don't always get to have one, but now if I don't somehow, it feels okay. You know, it could be a placebo effect, but I don't think it is. Can it really be that much of a coincidence? Well, whichever way I look at it, I think Athletic Greens is working for me. A deep seaweed green like Nature itself. This eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds, like no more than five or six. Okay, ten tops to prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous. And so here's how you can get yours. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow. Okay, and don't forget slash how to wow because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given How to Wow listeners. A free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel-free packs today to take with you on the go once again athleticgreens.com slash don't forget how to wow and one final thing. Please do check out, if you haven't already, our homepage of How to Wow at howtowow.org. That's howtowow.org. For all episodes thus far, additional information and show notes, plus brand new, it's up there now, a definitive list of my fave books, my absolute favourites of 2020. And I've only put the ones up there that I absolutely loved, that I can wholeheartedly recommend to you. These are the books I get asked about all the time and they're there now for you to consider and even click on and buy should you want to treat yourself Christmas or someone else. And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for the great and powerful Graham Norton. Cue that conversation. So, Graham, what the dickens went on there?
0: Woo! It's all a blur. (laughs) It really is all a blur. Uh, But here I am. Uh, I mean, when was that? That was like a few weeks ago. It wasn't long ago. And now I work here. (laughs) (laughs) Mind you, do you know what? The world is so weird because I was sitting here looking out and I think if the weather had been like this yes. then,
1: yes. I probably wouldn't be working here. But for people who have just tuned in or landed on the planet, what what's happened a few weeks ago?
0: So I came in here uh, to promote a book and you were uh, being very kind of mischievous and teasing me and saying, oh, come work at Virgin. Come work, it's lovely here. And I, two things. One, it was lovely here. I could see my house. We're on the 17th floor. It's a gorgeous day obviously regular listeners to virgin know that they're sick of hearing about it but <laughs> as a newbie i was thrilled um the other thing was that you were a different person you were so happy uh compared to the person where you had been and i thought that was really telling uh that you were that you seemed so kind of full of joy and and i walked away thinking actually that's not a bad idea and then <laughs> And then Virgin got in touch with my agent.
1: About a minute later.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, as as my footsteps were echoing down the corridor. And uh, and this idea of doing Saturday and Sunday came up. And, I mean, what's, what I'm trying to kind of piece together in my mind, because it's all happened so fast, is this is so not what I was imagining for myself. This is so uh not the life plan the life decisions i was going to be making my whole thing i for the last few years i've been talking about working less doing less having more time off da, da, da. and now i've doubled my workload and extended the number of weeks i do and i think it's to do with this weird year i think it's to do with 2020 and realizing how fortunate we are to work and how important it is that someone cares where you are (laughs) someone's going oh he's late or what happened there or you know just it I just felt uh that I was really lucky that that somebody was saying be here show up uh you've got a job and that was uh tempting to me in a way that it wouldn't have been a year ago
1: I wonder what else is percolating in your mind though without you sort of realizing it now which may become apparent you know over the next 12 months two years three years who who knows how long because i was thinking about you know when you went first of all from channel five to channel four channel five interesting we'll talk about it later if that's okay and then channel four to the bbc you know and how outrageous and outlandish and really original and creative the channel four shows were and i by the way i love your bbc shows but they are different oh yeah you know and it's like you know You've done your time at BBC on BBC Radio now, uh, and you're coming over to this side, you know. And it's 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 different. It's it's better in parts, and it's it's you know it's different in other parts. But I can't wait to to get that to you back, and that will happen on Virgin Radio.
0: I mean, I yes, I think it will take a long time yeah. for me to thaw out <laughs> from from some of those constraints. But you know what? It's, it's interesting because I think people think they saw me go from Channel 4 to the BBC and thought, oh, poor him, he's been muzzled, he's been put in a straitjacket, da-da-da. It never felt like that. It It always felt like a new challenge and a different discipline. And so... I enjoyed it. It's why we went because we wanted to make kind of shows that could be more mainstream that could have more of a family audience that could have a shiny floor and and that was our challenge. That's what interested us. Whereas I, you know, I think you're right from viewer's point of view, they they saw me slightly kind of neutered.
1: I, I didn't mean that actually. That's oh, not okay. that's not what I meant. Oh, okay. Um but it's, I I get why you're saying that, but that's absolutely not what I meant. Uh, because I think you're right in all you've said just just before but about the fact that you go to the BBC, it's a big deal. It's the it's the bloody British Broadcasting Company. There should be three Bs there, and I mean that you know, <laughs> for, for, with all the best intentions, it is so respected, and it's such a massive audience, and it's a massive privilege to be to be given the the seat in front of a BBC TV camera or the seat behind a BBC radio microphone, um, and. It is a whole different challenge, and it is fantastic, and we're all the better for having been there. But in researching or looking back at your career and your life for for the purpose of this conversation, I thought, oh yeah, and so it was wasn't that I've, I've 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 not liked what you've been doing there. I just like. Oh, because there's another Graham, and we can have the other Graham. I, by the way, I love this Graham. I of course I love this Graham because I was like, "Come on, walk here. We want you here." But I forgot—you've also got the other. You're bringing the other Graham with you again. There's that. Well, except am I?
0: I think I think that's something. I think that's a young, a much younger I Graham. He's still uh, in there, though. Is he? I'm not so sure. I'm gl- I, I like your confidence, Chris. I'm not so sure. I, I think that Graham is dead in a ditch somewhere. No, but that-
1: you were always old and wise beyond your years. I think so. There was all the older grain was already in the younger grain, Therefore, the younger grain by 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 dint of physics, has to still be within that.
0: Okay. Well, I don't really enjoy watching. You know, if, you know the way things online just show up, and so if it suddenly shows up a clip from a Channel Four show, right. I find them really hard to watch. I, I,
1: yeah. You get over that because I felt the same way about TFI Friday because you used... You, you... Oh, yeah, because we were kind of contemporary. No, we weren't. You were, you were between five and ten years after me. So so we started... I started the big Riffs 92. And I'm not a counter, but I've been counting purely, again, because of yeah, the purpose yeah. of this conversation. You were sort of 98, 99.
0: Yeah, that's when we wrapped up. Well, when was TFI then? Was TFI... 90,
1: 96. Was that... So
0: TFI was over by then?
1: 90, we finished in 99. Yeah. Oh, which is, okay, so
0: we did. It was a little overlap. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. But,
1: but it's interesting because it's only a few years, but I've just started to really enjoy watching old TFIs again. But two years ago, even from now, it's like I was still a bit hiding behind the sofa, covering my face with my hands. Uh, but you get over that and, well, I think you get over that.
0: Okay. But maybe, you're, maybe, you're, maybe there's
1: enough distance. You're wiser <laughs> than I. I really like them now. Okay, but um, those sh- those shows, your shows, they they were so so funny, you know. And also, you've not got three hours on on Virgin Radio. You've got two lots of three hours, and you've got the Sunday papers. You can get up to all kinds of mischief.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is a lot more. To, I think you can uh, because all, if you kind of think I've got an audience for the weekend, yeah, yeah, that's a very different relationship than just having them from Saturday morning. Mm. Um, and also, I, I, I mean, it'll be interesting to find out who that sunday audience is what they're doing because on saturday you get a real sense that people are listening as they do things you know they're ferrying kids they're waiting outside a supermarket they're at you know in the car park of b&q they're doing all those things sunday i feel like people are probably in their house more um you know they're reading the papers they're getting lunch but the, the radio is on
1: they're sobering up
0: well, there's that too. <laughs> yeah. They're going, oh, talk quieter. <laughs> Slower, <This> mu- <laughs> slow for heaven's sake. <laughs> this music's so loud. Uh, so I think that will be fun, to have that kind of six hours with people over the weekend. And you can carry things over from the Saturday. If something's really good on the Saturday, you bring it on to the Sunday. And, you know, uh, and the, those are opportunities I didn't have yeah, yeah. Uh, before. Um, and, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it just, I now that I've made the decision... Uh, being there, the old the old country, I really feel like, uh, yeah, I, I've made the right decision. I'm I'm ready to get out of here. Well, and and that's no disrespect to that to them. It's just I have been there for ten years. The show hasn't changed really in ten years, and you know we've got a big audience, but it's not going to get any bigger. So to come here and you know have a standing start is a real challenge, and it's exciting. and And I think it goes back to saying yes is that. At this point in my career, I never thought, you know, anyone would be trying to kind of headhunt me from anywhere. So uh, that's a really nice feeling.
1: It is a lovely feeling, and your your words sound like my thoughts two years ago, almost exactly the same. Oh, that in fact they are exactly the same? Because it's it's you know the re- reignition, the, the relighting in the fire. That you thought was still burning, but you you realised was actually still sort of, it was just one bar one instead of three. Do you know it was what the I mean? pilot light. It was <laughs> the pilot light if you're lucky on the paraffin heater. But now I'm I'm so pleased. You first found some kind of success within the business doing stand-up as Mother Teresa. Is that about right, or was there some something before that?
0: No, I mean that was it. Um... <laughs> to say I found success, I think, is overstating it. I, I, you know, I went to Edinburgh with Mother Teresa. Well, hang
1: on, hang on, back the truck up a bit. OK. You're right, OK, so you're a waiter.
0: Yes. You're 30? Oh, yes, at least.
1: So you were still... See, this is the thing for people listening. This is called How to Wow. Well. So Graham Norton was 30 and still waiting tables. And look where he's now. Just five minutes later... It's not 27 years, it's just five <laughs> oh minutes later... God. Mother Teresa, you, waiting tables and tea towels.
0: Yeah, so basically uh, I, uh, you know, went to drama school, left drama school, didn't really work. Uh, I worked in restaurants the whole way through that. And I used to do this thing, you know, working in restaurants, you get bored. So you'd be polishing glasses or drying cutlery and I would drape the Irish linen tea towel over my head and I would be Mother Teresa. But for about, you know, 40 seconds at a time. Because that's how long it's funny for. Um, and I <laughs> I decided that I was going to write a show uh, about Mother Teresa. I was going to be Mother Teresa. And I told my friends, uh, Mike Belbin and David Ayer, they ran the Eagle Pub on the Farrington Road. They still do. Well, Mike does. And uh, they had a kind of gallery space upstairs. And I asked, can I do it up there? They said, yes. And... And that was kind of the end of it. And then what was great was they forced my hand in that they started telling people that I was doing it. And I think they came up with a date that this is happening. And so suddenly people were coming up to me at the bar and saying, oh, we're going to come and see you upstairs. So I had to write this thing. And it was bonkers. I had uh, two friends and they were like the little sisters of perpetual indulgence or something. And I had... uh, a like a cassette of Bulgarian, you know, the Bulgarian voice choir. And uh, there was lots of candles. Everyone sat on cushions. <laughs> I mean, it was very odd, but kind of deliberately. Cause I felt like, well, you can't judge this because it's so odd. You can't say it was terrible because you've no idea what I was, <laughs> what it was, what it was supposed to be. And, and then I was just really lucky that first show I did, um, a lady called Judith Dimmond came and she worked at the Pleasants up in Edinburgh. She loved the show. There was a cancellation. And so I went straight into the cabaret bar at the Pleasants, which, you know, it, now I get, wow, how lucky was I? But of course, you know, you don't know. If you don't know, you don't know. So I just, you know, packed my little bag and headed off to Edinburgh and did it. And then I did Edinburgh for about
1: I don't know, eight years in a row, nine well, years well, in a row? It may have been lucky, but it also must have been darn good, because this lady knew her onions and presumably still knows her onions. Well, I think she kind of thought that
0: that could work in Edinburgh, you know, as a kind of a bizarre thing, you know, because it was a sort of game show element. I think it was a raffle or something. And <laughs> I used to explain the Holy Trinity using Tupperware, <laughs> because, you know, you could three in one. <laughs> She was kind of an Irish housewife slash Mother Teresa. Bits of it were quite funny. But uh, so it had a kind of late night cult thing. And like the people who worked at the Pleasants, I think no one very really bought tickets that first year, but the kids who worked at the Pleasants would all finish their shifts in other bits of the building and they would come and watch it because... They liked it, and you might win some Tupperware. Uh, so, uh, and then, which is very useful to people of <laughs> that age, very useful. And I think, but then it took me a long time to go, okay, I'm not an actor anymore, I'm a stand-up, because you know Mother Teresa was a character, and then I got rid of her. But then the next things I was doing were kind of charactery monologgy bits, and it was only about five or six years in I finally said, okay my name's Graham Norton, hello, you know, that it became stand-up. And that, of course, is when producers and people know what to do with you. Because even nothing had really changed, except I was now wearing, you know, my own clothes and a microphone. But they could now see, oh, oh, okay, he's a stand-up. We can give him a little roving reporter job on a radio show, or he could do a little thing for a TV show. And that... It, that kind of changed everything. Then I started getting little opportunities.
1: And the thing about doing the Edinburgh shows, you've talked about this before, is you had to come up with a title way before the shows because you had to sell tickets. Yeah. So the titles were brilliant. And in many ways, they were instructive to then what you what the show became.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you then had to, you know, so I, I, I did... Uh, Charlie's Angels. Charlie's Angels Go to Hell, uh, Karen Carpenter's Bar and Grill. Don't think you'd do that now. Uh, I think t- time has judged that title harshly. Um, uh, but... Uh, the, the Charlie's Angels go a hell. That was kind of my favorite show because I kind of used it—the idea of Charlie's Angels. So the idea was that uh, Charlie's Angels were my moral kind of guardians, and you know, what would what would they do? What would Sabrina say in this situation? And I told the story of me when I was about twenty, heading off to America and living in a hippie commune, and uh, yeah. So I, it was. Kind of that was an odd show because it was quite personal, but it had kind of this ridiculous, kind of campy '70s TV thing all over it.
1: I love it because you talk about going to San Francisco, don't you? As somewhere that many people ran away to, and you, you didn't all agree to meet in San Francisco, but you might as well have done because that's what happened.
0: Yeah, it's like Disneyland for grown-ups. I mean, it's sort of it is a it is a proper. I mean, now it, it's changed. I think uh, you know. I think that whole. Uh, internet whatever you call that thing dot <laughs> 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 com boom uh, has changed san francisco silicon valley yeah all of that i think it's really uh i mean i'm sure you can still have fun there it's like people talk about oh new york is wrecked but you can still have fun there so i'm sure you can still have a good time in san francisco but when i was there it was just great and i lived with these uh hippies. And it, they were so good for me as a kind of young Irish kid. You know, you leave Ireland and you, when you're young, you are so conservative with a kind of small C, you know, you, anything odd is kind of, you, you judge it and you kind of, you kind of, that's, that's stupid. Why do you, that's stupid. And I, that was me. And the hippies kind of opened my eyes to kind of a world of possibilities and that, you know, there's room for lots of different things, and you know, and some of the hippie stuff was incredibly extreme. Uh, some of the kind of the communes and things, and you know, they had proper cult leaders. Um, there was it was called Carista Village, I think it was called Carista Village, and it was this guy, and uh, he, you know, he ran the whole thing, and they would make up rules, and there was one rule that uh, you couldn't masturbate. Right. You weren't allowed to masturbate. <laughs> and then somebody was away. Someone was on a trip. How did they check? Well, no, well, because everyone just said, I know I didn't. But then somebody wrote a postcard. They were on a holiday and they wrote a postcard saying, I have to confess. This was on a postcard. I have to confess. I did uh, masturbate, but I was thinking about nature at the time, uh. like waterfalls and trees. So that became the new rule. You could, if you were thinking about nature. Right uh don't, don't there, no follow up questions please because i know nothing i mean i can't explain it i don't know the wheres or whys of any of it but i would go there and i would have dinner in that commune and kind of chat to those people um you know, in my little Irish clothes.
1: So, was that one commune and another commune, or was it yeah,
0: a... I was in I was in a commune called Star Dance. Ours was not like that. Right. Ours was um, oh, there was masturbation all the time. No, it was a,
1: it was <laughs> it was mass it, masturbation. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was really the founding <laughs> premise of the the, the commune. No, it was a really sweet commune. I don't really know what the overall thinking behind the commune was. It was, uh, I think, it was just about communal living. And, you know, I went back there, oh, it must be um, 10, 15 years ago now, they were having a big anniversary, a 25th anniversary party or something. And, you know, some of the hippies I'd known, they're now very, very old and they're now in hippie retirement homes where they're sort of in hippie they're in retirement home hippie valley yeah with, you know, with, we' yeah. <laughs> yeah, hip replacement valley <laughs> hippie replacement um, so they uh, but they're with like-minded people in their retirement home so you know they'll and they'll still go on little marches or you know they'll wheel themselves out to a, a sidewalk with a banner uh, to protest something but it's kind of lovely that they found a way of you know, living their life like
1: that. It's really lovely. Um, what, what drew you to San Francisco in the first place?
0: That was a ridiculous story. Um, uh, in that I, when I was in Ireland, I had pen pals. This is so ageing. <laughs> Even people who are 50 are going, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I think I must have been the, the end of the generations and who had pen pals. was a big thing, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Big and I had loads of them. Uh, from all over the place, and there. But then I got on really well with one, uh, and his name was David Filipando and he lived in L.A. And we sort of came out to each other in our letters, and that, but he was way more out than I was, uh, in that he was in L.A. and he was doing things about it. And so I devised this plan that I was going to get my J one visa in Ireland which means you can work in America as a student. and uh, You flew into New York, and I had a seven-day Rambler bus ticket for uh, Trailways. It wasn't the Greyhound, it was Trailways. And I would get to L.A. and stay with him. Fine. Anyway, I again, this says so much about who I was. Uh, I didn't have a map because I somehow that seemed ridiculous you know it just seemed more interesting not to have a map so I didn't have a map of america with me so I would own I would get the bus rides by choosing the leaflets that had a line going like uh, horizontally rather than vertically because vertical was obviously north south the other one was east west, to the west yeah. that is not a very good way to get across america so i ran out of my Trailways bus tickets. The seven days were up uh, as I rolled into San Francisco. So that's how I ended up there. And I never got to LA. I never met David Villapando. Yeah. I mean, it was the perfect place for you in the world, probably. Oh, no, no. Like, it was... And I arrived... I mean, and it it all sounds like a really kind of rubbish film about a kind of young gay Irish guy's coming-of-age thing. Sounds like a great film. So he... Uh, He, I got off the bus, (laughs) walked out of the station and a flatbed truck full of drag queens came tearing around the corner and they were all screaming and waving. And, you know, that thing where like, oh, well, I I knew it was gay, but I I didn't know it was this day. (laughs) There are truckloads of drag queens. Anyway, it turned out it was Gay Pride Day. That was the day I arrived was Gay Pride Day. Yeah. So that afternoon I was watching Grace Jones performing on the back of a flatbed truck. You know, having sat in in a car in uh, in Cork, listening to those those songs on, oh, on cassette.
1: Goodness, we could fast forward now. A perfect segue to Grace Jones on on your show with um, with Judith Chalmers, because <laughs> that was a tipping point, I didn't realise she was involved in a pre-tipping tipping point as yeah, well. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, she's she's a ch- I, I love Grace Jones. Is she a yeah. friend? Uh, no, no. No. I mean... No! No. No, but I always feel bad, because <laughs> when you say no, it's like you're saying I don't like them. I adore Grace Jones, oh, no, no, but I, I don't have her number or doesn't anything. not like If all. she walked in here now, I, I'd like to think she'd smile. Yeah, but, uh, she would smile. Yeah, and I would smile,
1: but but we're not friends. So, But 1983, I mean, you know, you can still smell the 70s in 1983, so it was pretty, pretty genuinely, sincerely doody still, wasn't it, San Francisco, than I would imagine?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was changing, I think. You know, the financial sector had become really important. Yeah. And, you know, so there were kind of new skyscrapers going up. And, you know, the I, I remember at the time there was a lot of complaints about kind of the cityscape changing and you couldn't see Coit Tower anymore and all that sort of stuff. But, um, but for me, you know, I never been there before so I just loved it and I had a kind of this weird world where I worked in that financial district in a restaurant and so I had those friends who would go clubbing and you know they lived in apartments and you know all of that and then I would go home to the hippie commune where you know their version of clubbing was a thing called the barefoot boogie where you <laughs> you went and everyone checked their shoes and then you danced barefoot <laughs> of an evening. Without
1: masturbating. <laughs> Without masturbating. <laughs> you, you danced thinking about nature. Get your hands out of your pockets now. <laughs> so that was 83. So you were 30 ish then, 29, 30 ish then. Why did you leave? Uh, because I felt like my life wasn't there. Right.
0: You know, I felt like I couldn't get on with my life um, because, you know, I knew at some point I was going to have to come home. Right. And some people don't. You know, some, there's a kind of, there's a weird. Subculture, and actually, yet I think there's something interesting. This, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe it's a novel idea, but there are these kids like me who went out with the J1 visa, and because of that visa, you got real jobs because you had a little, so you had a social security number and all that stuff. So people outstayed their visa. They had careers. I mean, big jobs, doing very well, owning houses, driving cars. The mistake, and this is so Irish is they married other Irish people right. on the same visa. <laughs> so then they get to be in their 40s and they've got kids, but then, of course, family back in Ireland start getting ill, uh, You know, parents start dying, that sort of stuff, and you're stuck because if you leave, you probably can't get back. So there, were, there was a big thing a few years ago where the Irish government was trying to get an amnesty for this kind of generation of Irish people <laughs> who are doing very well in America.
1: Like a miniature wind rush or something. Yeah,
0: but they're, but they're stuck there right. because, they, because they are kind of there illegally. So anyway, I didn't do that. I got out and, uh, and I came back to Ireland, but really my feet hardly touched the ground and then I came to London.
1: Right, so you say you were Conservative with a small C. You are also co- Protestant with quite a small P.
0: Yes, I would say.
1: <laughs> and you were, you, you, you knew you were confused about something and you thought, this being Protestant doesn't sit sit well with me. But it was actually the fact you were gay. Well, it's two things, because I think,
0: because I grew up in the south of Ireland. Right. So there are very, very, very few Protestants in the south of Ireland. So there is a feeling of other. You know, there is a feeling of not quite fitting in if you're a Protestant. Uh, and, and, but equally... I think a lot, you know, talking to, to gay people, they often talk about that feeling of like feeling like a tourist in your hometown that you, you, don't, you don't belong, you don't quite fit in. So I think it was the combination of those two things were quite confused yeah. <laughs> in my young head. But I, but I did know that I wanted out. I that I knew.
1: Out in more ways than one. Uh, yes,
0: exactly, yeah, out, out.
1: <laughs> and you said it wasn't that much fun being gay in, uh, where you live because there was nobody really to be gay with, which is a lovely way of putting it. But there, there probably were, but you just didn't know it.
0: There probably were. I mean, it, what's astonishing is, you know, I went back a few years ago to, you know, give out the prizes at my school at Prize Day and there were openly uh, gay pupils in the school. And that just... It kind of blew my mind because although Ireland has changed a lot, I didn't think it it's changed that much. <laughs> like, that was extraordinary. And and that they were, you know, seemed to be happy and getting on with their lives. They weren't kind of, you know, being bullied out of existence. Uh, I I was sort of thrilled. Um, but that was certainly not. I mean, I, I don't know what people would have. I I don't know how people would have reacted if I'd if I'd if I'd come out if you'd at had seventeen. A go. Yeah, if I had seventeen and said yes, I'm gay, everyone would have just been kind of a bit nonplussed. They wouldn't have known what to do. I don't think they'd have hated me. You know, it's like because it's like racism only exists if there's people to be racist towards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I think maybe the same thing about if I'd come out, I would have been just like a, a sort of weird freak. People would have come to see me and point at me that's one there he yeah, is yeah. uh yeah but I, I think for some reason i like going to the city going to cork or going to dublin wasn't enough i wanted to to get out more
1: yeah a lot a lot of i mean bob geldof says similar doesn't he? you know he just had to get out of ireland yeah um and you know we don't know what that feeling is like uh because we're not irish and we, we didn't we didn't grow up there was it something that you now recognise as being more common than you thought at the time? Um I mean
0: listen Ireland we populate the world you know it's what we do <laughs> we leave um uh, there's only like 3 or 4 million back there and there's you know tens of millions all over the world. Uh so I I think what what helps you leave is that there is this tradition of it you know people emigrate that's it's a very done thing you you know you get the the bus and the boat to Britain um and so that that made it easy I knew people who were already in London so that makes it easy because you've got someone to phone when you get there um and but for me it, I think it's that thing where I you know I didn't appreciate Ireland at the time because it was all I knew uh I there was a really sweet story somebody told me you know they their mother had got pregnant, you know, out of wedlock, did a terrible thing. And she uh, got sent over to an aunt in England and lived with that aunt and had her family, always, lived, never went back to the place in Ireland because of the shame. and It would have been brought shame on the relatives if she'd come back. and duh, duh, duh. And... Finally, they brought her back. As an old lady, they brought her back. So look, you come on. This is ridiculous. You've got to go back. And they brought her back. And she started to cry. And they said, what is it? And she said, I never realised I came from somewhere so beautiful. And, it was, you know, and it is a beautiful place where she's from. And there's the coast and da, da, da. But she had no, she had no idea. She'd never understood that because, you know, it was just where she lived. So I think it's a bit like that for Irish people in that you grew up there, you read books, you watch films, you watch TV. It's all happening somewhere else. You know, you're never on the main stage. You're always in the kind of indie tent. Yeah, yeah. Off-Broadway. <laughs> so, off you're very
1: off. Yeah, off. Yeah, it's fringe. Off, off.
0: And so, you know, you want to head to the, the big lights. Yeah, yeah, you
1: know? yeah. I get it. It's, it's interesting that you say you were invited back eventually to hand out the prizes at your school because <laughs> the jury was out for a while, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's...
0: It was it was certainly uh, my when my Channel Four days. I think uh, uh, people in my hometown, Bandon, they were very conflicted. They were very glad that someone from Bandon was kind of doing well on telly in Britain, but did it have to be him? <laughs> did did that have to be the person? And you know, I uh, my real name is Graham Walker, and I changed it for equity, and so my mother, you know, had a, this. You know, she, it was kind of, it was nice protection for her because people didn't know that she was my mother because she's Mrs. Walker. And there is somebody called, I think she's called Marie Norton in Banton. And people thought I was her son, <laughs> which brought great shame upon the Norton household. But yes, over the years, I think it's uh, as I've mellowed, uh, it's mellowed, the show's mellowed. It's
1: definitely a meeting of the mellowing, isn't it? Yes, yes, exactly.
0: Yes, I, yeah, we've 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 met
1: somewhere in the middle. Thought out simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So you've talked about that a lot before it happened, before them inviting you back to to hand out the prizes on on prize giving day or what's it called? Is it prize giving day? I think it's prize day. Prize day. Um, But. Who? How did that happen? Because I'm so intrigued. So did they phone you up? Did you know? Did I think they? I think they've forgiven you, or I think they they don't mind you anymore, or,
0: or um, what? I think it was a. I think a letter came to my mother's house. I right. think to to say, but um, I th- I think I'd been quite. I think in my first book, I'd been quite rude about because I basically said you know because to put it in context. I'm not like... And this this will sound conceited and it's not meant to, but it's not like I'm the most famous pupil. <laughs> I'm the only famous pupil.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, who else?
0: I'm this hotbed of talent. Yes. I'm it. So, <laughs> uh, so it was kind of weird that they wouldn't ever ask me back to do anything, but they didn't. And I think in my first book, I... Uh, basically, I, I was quite blunt about. Well, if they ever do this, is what I'll say to them. Right. Um, uh, so uh, it was sweet of them. Uh, they were quite nervous, I think, to ask because they thought I might tell them to was there get lost.
1: A regime change that uh, facilitated there, that. There was a slight regime change. Yeah, that change, works, yes. doesn't it? Yes, there was... which is good, in a way,
0: you know. Well, I think it's g- it's good for the school because the pupils must have thought, of course. But- just did he hate it here? Yeah, we really like his show, <laughs> yeah. We watch it.
1: <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because a lot of shows that appear that they're on TV or broadcast in Ireland, not Northern Ireland, but Sun Island or Ireland, um, they don't those ratings don't show up on the official ratings. And you can double your audience in Ireland, can't you?
0: Yeah, no, it's I mean, people. I don't know how it works. I mean, years ago, it was illegal. You know, people just had put up masts on the East Coast (laughs) and then they would beam it illegally.
1: Having turned into wind farms, they were so tall.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, now (laughs) I I think... Do people pay for it? I mean, I think I think up until recently, I think you paid companies who were kind of pirating British television.
1: Yeah, I think Ireland's got these. I think all broadcasters go, "Oh, it's all right. Ireland can have it." Yeah, it's in the it's air. It's just cool. It's yeah. just cool to be on. We, an just, island.
0: we just we just called it down from the skies. I know because uh, yeah.
1: Well, I was very fortunate to be invited to to, to the late late show with, when Ryan was hosting it. It still is. Yeah, really yeah. Taken over, and I thought nobody's going to have heard of me in Ireland. It's like. Everybody watches you all the time. It's like, hang on a minute. Nobody tells you this. This is so cool.
0: Yeah, no, they. I mean, British TV is watched a lot, particularly on the East Coast, on the East Coast a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember when we, because we, I was born in Dublin and they had BBC and ITV in Dublin and then they moved down to Waterford and my father was determined that they would still get the BBC and they met some cowboy who told them, I can get you. Uh, the, BB, the BBC, and in our back garden we had this aerial, but it was enormous. I know it was a child; it was still <laughs> very, very, very large, and it got everything. I mean, seriously, it got Spanish <laughs> Spanish bullfights.
1: It got you in jail. It yeah, it got <laughs> yeah. you anything you wanted.
0: Uh, Spanish bullfights would be beamed onto our television, wow. but it never got the BBC or ITV. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, but Europe, yeah,
1: lovely, big. So, how was you? How was that day for your mum when you went got to go out to school? Um, my mother, I mean, I I think she was pleased. I'm sure
0: she was chuffed uh, a bit, wasn't yeah. she? I mean, there was a lunch. There was a lunch, and she was my date at the lunch, so uh, she enjoyed that. Um, and I think, yes, I think she shared the view of the school for many years, kind of thinking, well, yeah, don't have him back. <laughs> Because he'll just embarrass us all and he'll be wearing something stupid and he'll say something rude um, But so by the time I did go back I think she was confident I wouldn't say something awful or wear something but too was terrible Was that
1: because of the subject matter you were known for then?
0: Well I think it's because of the Channel 4 show because you know that,
1: Which one? Cause the...
0: Oh just doing like doing the chat show and doing the smuss and right. you know rude internet things and you know uh, Marital AIDS. Yeah all of that and that you know stuff. all the Single entendre <laughs> jokes <laughs> and stuff. So I think that's what they thought they were going to get. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I yes. So I think by the time it happened, we all knew it's funny that, that wasn't going to happen.
1: Because I've always been a fan, but I can't, it doesn't resonate with you like that, does it? Unless you're you're the subject of it, you know, or you're very close to the subject of it. As a, as an audience member, which is what I am, as far as your career has been concerned, it's like. I don't remember. I do now you're pointing out, but I just remember he's just being funny. You don't remember what is funny. You just remember, oh, I like him. He's funny. I li- I've always liked his shows. But we don't remember them in such detail as you're recalling them now. But as you talk about it, you think, no, it was very, very. It was. It, I, you, you couldn't be on
0: telly <laughs> now. It couldn't be on telly now, and it shouldn't be on telly now. <laughs> That's what. So yes. So your experience of watching TFI and enjoying it, yeah. Yeah. The difference is that TFI could still be on telly, maybe. (laughs) Whereas my show is just, I I watch I watch it through fingers. (laughs) Now I I
1: get what you were saying before.
0: It's hard to watch because it's so of its time.
1: Had there been if there were a chronological cutoff point for that, would it be a specific time and date that that would no longer be acceptable, or is it is it incremental? For me, well, it happened to. I mean, I got
0: bored of it that's why we kind of that's why we stopped that's why we went to the bbc because we you know that thing of you know pushing the envelope like we'd push that envelope it was no longer envelope shaped it was something it was just a flat bit of paper now and uh so i think we need we need to start again we need you know because that that was unsustainable. And also I do, going back to that thing about getting older, I do think it's a young man's game uh, to be running up and down stairs, you know, doing rude jokes to the audience, <laughs> waving dildos around, all that sort of stuff. It, that is a young man's game. And it becomes unseemly as you get older. <laughs> To be talking to attractive young couples about their it's sex lives so,
1: it's so true it's so true and that's just the fact of life yeah it? it's just a fact of yeah. life.
0: and i and i've been lucky i think that i've i've stayed on telly that whole time yeah so that so i've been able to age kind of in front of the viewer mm. if you know what i mean i think because that's like noel edmonds i think did it he was able to take a big break and he came back, but I think when he came back, he was still Noel Edmonds. You know what I mean? He hadn't changed. Yeah. <laughs> he because he's he's sort of weirdly untouched by time. He was sort of he looked middle aged when he was very young, yeah. and now he looks middle aged that he's old. Yeah. <laughs> so there was no kind of.
1: He looks unbelievable for his yeah, age, yeah. actually. He's 75, I think. This is year. He's he that old?
0: And he looks unbelievable. He really does. He looks like a pedigree dog, doesn't he? Yeah,
1: he puts it down to this blanket, this electromagnetic blanket that he uses. Oh, yes, he has, he has a lot of He's beliefs. Totally and, and
0: it's one of those things where you see him, you kind of well, uh, I can't laugh at this because you do look there amazing. There is evidential <laughs> proof yeah, in front yeah, of yeah, us right here. right
1: there. Um, let's talk about Channel 5. So Channel 5, can... can it's such a, such a funny story. I know you've said it before. You told this story before, but the night of the comedy, oh. was- <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so this is so,
0: funny. so Channel Five, oh, so Channel Five was this great thing when it happened because yeah. they had they were you know they were doing lots of original programming, but they would no money. And so nobody established wanted to work there. Mm-hmm. So they started all this thing. They did a five nights a week chat show called the Jack Doherty Show, hosted by Jack Doherty. And he was going on holiday and they needed someone to, s- to sit in. And I'd been hosting a kind of qu- uh, kind of panel show for them called Bring Me the Head of Light Entertainment. Um, and that had done okay. So they said to me, oh, do you want this gig? So I had this weird thing. And I remember, I do, I remember it so clearly. Uh, it was in the, where the Trafalgar Studios are now. It was, that was a whole theatre and it was in there on the stage. And it was, a, you know, a big operation. It was a five nights a week chat show. And uh, I remember I sat behind the desk and I loved it. I loved it. And I thought I have found my dream job. But it's someone else's. It's like the worst thing in the world, realising, wow, I now know this is what I want to do, but somebody else's name on the door. So anyway, I did it for two weeks, I think. And then the Comedy Award nominations uh, put out, and I, I don't know, I think someone at Channel 5 just filled in the wrong box or something. And so I was nominated for Best Newcomer, but f- for the Jack Doherty Show. Like, they could have nominated for Best Newcomer for the Bring Me the Head of Life Entertainment or something, but anyway, they didn't. Jack Doherty also nominated for the Jack Doherty Show for Best Newcomer. We're at the Channel 5 table at the Comedy Awards. Uh, Addison Cresswell. Do you remember Addison Cresswell? Yeah. yeah. And uh, he, of course, you know, he knew. He knew what was going on. You know, Addison was this big uh, comedy agent, and he always, you know, he was... uh, So he, in front of me... Was congratulating Jack Doherty and kind of you know going you've got you've got this I know, you know, and you kind of believed him because he was Addison Cresswell you know if someone had seen inside the envelopes it was going to be him so I just relaxed and thought well oh, I haven't won this so there'll be no awkwardness, and then Kathy Burke announced and said me and, I like, and you know that it was it was very weird, so I went up, uh, and and did a speech in the speech, didn't thank Jack Doherty, didn't thank Channel 5 even. I mean, it was bad.
1: Basically nobody at the table that you were sitting Yeah, at. yeah. Nobody at Perfect. the table. Well thing.
0: And uh, I, uh, my boyfriend at the time, Scott, he was on the table. So when you win, of course, you're not, you don't go back to the table. You're then taken off to do all the, you know, the press room, the photographs, the this, the that. So doing all of that. So I must have been gone for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And I came back to the table. I mean just I mean ugh. <laughs> and, and what did you do? And and so they kind of everyone kind of did those thank you know, well done. And I said, Oh I'm so sorry, you know, I, I forgot to thank you. Da, 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 da. And then I sat down and Scott just went, It's been very quiet. <laughs> and so for like twenty minutes no one had spoken. Uh, Barbara Windsor came over to Scott to congratulate him to say oh well done
1: <laughs> from one Scott to another yeah. Scott so what happened for the rest of the night because
0: there's a party there's a shindig there is well I, uh, you know, the minute I could get away from that table I did how
1: <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> was
0: Jack um, I mean he seemed fine was he being down mess at all oh no he was oh no no absolutely he right. uh, he was you know shook my hand and you know all of that but you know that's still a it, it's not about me but that's just a kick in the teeth
1: yeah and addison presumably was jack's agent at the time
0: could have been i yeah. would imagine so yeah i mean he did represent most people yeah so uh and also yes exactly so he'd been told he was going to win yeah. by someone he'd I believed addison
1: was furious i bet wasn't
0: he oh you can imagine
1: <laughs> yes yes yeah. even you know if on a good day, Addison woke up furious, didn't he? And only got more furious as the day went on. By the way, in a very entertaining manner, but furious nevertheless. Yeah, it
0: was full on.
1: Yeah, full it was, on. It was full, full on. Full Cresswell. Yeah, yes. You've just been cresswell <laughs> Yeah, I often went out with him and I gave him a good listening to, Graham, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, I, I mean,
0: he'd have you in a headlock. He, I mean, he was just, yeah, anyway, uh, Addison. God, uh, yeah. God
1: bless him. genuinely sadly missed because it was a a huge huge character
0: it was such a shock that that you know that thing that had been turned out to 10 for all those years someone had found an off switch yeah
1: um right so was that a catalyst for you getting your own show then was that it certainly
0: helped i mean i was already pitching at uh at channel four because uh graham stewart was the executive producer on the jack Doherty show and he came to me with the idea of putting together a my own talk show and bringing it to channel four and i guess you know winning that award it helped of course it did it just helped kind of so it i looked like a better booking than i had um we got a pilot and then the pilot got picked up for a little summer season in 98 i think six episodes or seven episodes and it went well and then we got a christmas special and then I think we got a, a series of twenty-seven yeah. or something mad,
1: yeah. and you know, that, and that's kind of been my life ever since. And so, you know, it, not not things haven't come easily to you. Of course, they haven't. But for me, you know, again, observing you, it's like I can't imagine you having sleepless nights about this job. The only I remember, I do remember having
0: what well, I a sleepless night. <laughs> Well, well done for just the one. Um, no, I've had other sleepovers, but those are about kind of personal things. But work wise, no, yeah,
1: but that's what I mean. Work wise, well done for having just the one.
0: Work wise, it was before the series. I think the, or maybe it was before the pilot. I do because there's a a weird thing about, I and mean, you must have, maybe you had this with the Big Breakfast, where you know that's your big break. You know, you were doing very well, but that was going to change your life. Yeah, the Big Breakfast. And everyone dreams of having, everyone in this business dreams of having their big break. But when you get it, you suddenly have this realisation, oh God, if this doesn't work, I'm so much worse off than I was before I got my big break. Because yeah. before you get your big break, you're the guy, you're, you're possible. You have
1: infinite potential. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that is
0: possible. Yeah. That could happen. If you're the guy who failed, Hmm. then you're limping around, dragging this corpse of a show with you for quite a long time, you know, depending on the scale of the failure. Uh, And so I had to kind of talk myself down and kind of go, okay, what's the worst? What's the worst case scenario? And the worst case scenario was the show failed. And I didn't work in telly for a long time, but I'd still get bits of radio. I knew that I could still do sends on Radio 4, and and I'd still do stand-up. And I thought, well, that's all right. You know, I'm not waiting tables. That's kind of, that's what I was trying to avoid, was having to go back to working in restaurants. So uh, once I'd kind of made peace with that in my head, then off you go.
1: But also you did quite enjoy waiting tables. That's the point. Oh, you no, you didn't?
0: I mean, I started enjoying. Right. I mean, when I started, I was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. I was really good at it. I, you know, when I finished, I needed to finish. I was vile. I mean, <laughs> I was...
1: How are you vile? Oh,
0: horrible to people. Horrible. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I hated... I mean, I still enjoy the people I worked with. I liked them, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the customers I had grown to only
1: if the customers sort of deserved it. I'd imagine. No, they oh, were kind of. Really, I, I
0: hated them all. Okay. Yeah. I mean, occasionally I'd meet like someone could shine through, and I'd like them. But really, just they have per- to
1: work hard. Yeah.
0: Perfectly innocent, nice people <clears throat> got a really bad time. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, so I needed. I needed to get out. I. I. I'm sort of in awe of. Oh, actually, someone was telling me about this documentary. Um. Have you heard of this? It's a school, you know. In you know, Italian waiters are famous,
1: yeah,
0: all the world over. Well, in Italy, there is a school, and boys go to it from like the age of thirteen or fourteen or something, and they learn it all.
1: I've heard. I think I've been there. Oh wow! I think I've been. I've been there. It's, yeah. I is it near Abruzzo?
0: I've no idea, I but apparently
1: there's a documentary <clears throat> about it, and it's apparently it's beautiful. Yeah, and if you if you, it's like going to. the bought the school in. Uh, wherever it is in Kensington or being... Um, uh, is it, uh, what, what are the nannies called?
0: Oh, yes, I know what you mean. Nord, yeah, Nord they have the uniform and... A, yeah.
1: That's a charity, isn't it? Oh, what, what is it? What are they called? I can't remember. Uh, they,
0: the, they have the old prams with the big wheels.
1: Yeah. James <laughs> Corden's got them. Oh, really? Yeah, Dex got one as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the, they're the nannies to have. What are they called? Are the film's called The Young Observant. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> they're on it out there. So <laughs> when you... um. After the show was hit on Channel Four, it's not when I say has it been plain sailing ever since. It never is, but has it been pretty much plain sailing ever since? The I mean, looking back, no. But I was kind of weirdly clueless. Uh,
0: so when we, it was plain sailing at Channel Four. Channel Four was so lovely to us, and um, you know we did we went five nights a week uh, because again I wanted a new I wanted a challenge. So uh, I'd always wanted to do five nights a week we got it and we did it for two years and at the end of that i thought i cannot do this anymore i don't want to do this anymore uh, you know this is <laughs> in the marie condo where it was not sparking joy <laughs> um, at the end of two years so
1: it's very pre-condo <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: it was way pre-condo
1: so i
0: and the bbc had tried to get me i think the year before two years before and then they tried again and i was like you know what let's do it but in the meantime we'd you know because the show i don't know what the i don't know what the world is like now but back then we were a hot show on channel four and america came sniffing around Wow! and so we i remember we went to la kind of a bunch of us a bunch of people who worked on the show my agent melanie and i we i think we stayed at the chateau marmont and we had this um like a little mini bus and we would drive around la going like a beauty parade going to all these different networks and places and meeting executives who would tell us you know explain to us why we should bring our show to them and da, 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 da. And uh, in the end, we went with Comedy Central. Uh, We said, okay, we're going with you. And so we went to New York. Channel 4 knew I was leaving. Like, this is unbelievable. So Channel 4 knew I was leaving, and they, as a kind of gift, as a sort of parting gift, they said, well, why don't you do uh, your final series from New York? So we're like, okay. Okay, (laughs) so we all went off to New York. Like the team, the writers, everybody, we all went off to New York. We did this weird Channel 4 show in New York um, where you couldn't really get guests because the people who were promoting things that were out in Britain were in Britain. So we were trying to find Americans who really had nothing to promote (laughs) to be on the show. Anyway, and then that went straight into the Comedy Central season And, oh, I remember the first night of that season. You know, it was, the audience went, I mean, hysterical. It was just mad. And we all came out on such a high. And I remember we went for dinner. And I remember we were talking, like, what are we going to tell the BBC? You know, what are we going to tell the BBC? Because this show is such a hit this show is so hot right now this is going to be this is going to be a breakout hit and oh god the bbc are going to be so angry we're not coming back yeah one season one season that show lasted for and and then if i had a clue in my head i would have thought i'm in big trouble now because i've killed the you know the golden goose Channel 4, mm-hmm. there is no America career. No leverage. And we're back to the BBC yeah. with no show, no format, nothing. Yeah. And that's when, you know, I think a lot of careers would have crashed and burned. I was lucky in that I had a production company with Graham Stewart. And so it was in his interest <laughs> for me to keep working. I needed to still be making shows. If I was just me, wandering the corridors of the BBC I, I would have done you know a couple of light entertainment things and maybe a daytime quiz and then they'd have gone well thank you so much it's been lovely but you know we're not gonna have you back but you know because Graham was there plugging away at getting me work and getting work for the production company that's what kind of sustained it and And it, you know, and it it took a couple of years, but we did get there. We got back there.
1: And he's a very lovely man, Graham Stewart, as well, isn't he? No, he's great. I mean, it's so uh, important to be liked in the business. Yeah, he's a very affable human being. Yeah,
0: no, he is. Yeah, he's not a monster. The
1: two Grahams. (laughs) Yeah, two Grahams are going to come and get you, and they're going to bring <laughs> a whole heap of viewers with them. Well, you
0: no, know, what was odd was we uh, when we were uh, our first uh, uh, Christian editor at Channel Four was uh, Graham Smith. So I don't do you know Graham yeah, Smith? Of yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah so with, with the three Grahams, it would be like it's Graham and Graham to see Graham,
1: <laughs> which you know, odd. And then it was Lorraine Hegacy of course, wasn't it? Yes, Lorraine. Oh, so tell us about the first three shows on the Beeb. Um, well, the, the first. What do you mean now? The first three different shows you did on the beach.
0: Okay. So I think the first one I did was, was it a dancing show? Was it Strictly Dance Fever? Yeah. I think I did a show. It was a spin-off of Strictly Come Dancing. I remember.
1: Because
0: we'd done some pilots. We'd done some pilots with So, and they'd been terrible. I mean, properly bad. What kind of pilots? Uh, For like, I suppose things like, uh, kind of like Saturday Night Takeaway, that kind of thing. Yeah, or
1: a a Nose House party. Yeah, that kind of thing. Okay.
0: And a Saturday night show. Right. And uh, they weren't good, so we didn't none of them went ahead. Uh, then I signed up to do Strictly dance fever. Um, and that uh, that was kind of a moderate it wasn't a flop. I mean now it would be a hit but uh, but back then it was a it was wasn't a flop, so that was good. so it it did, I think two seasons uh, of that um and and you know and then that it's so weird of course because working at the bbc and i guess it'll be the opposite way coming here this thing you were talking about earlier um having come from channel four where you know you just you made your show you just made your show and you'd no real sense that you're working for channel four you you just made a show and then but doing strictly dance fever we were in tv center it was like i am working at the bbc i have joined the ministry of television and there are so many people walking around with clipboards and handbags and things that you you know I never saw Channel 4 uh, maybe they were there maybe they worked there I don't know I never saw them now they were everywhere well,
1: Channel 4 was so weird because there were no studios no there was just this is a great building yeah like a miniature TV centre, but there's not a camera to be seen. No. Well, there was Channel 4 News, I think, wasn't there? Or Channel 4 Something. Daily. And then there was that
0: weird thing in the basement. In the basement,
1: which I never went to because it just scared me. <laughs> <laughs> there, was the snail, there was the snail walkway. Yes. Wasn't
0: it? Yeah. And then some... I,
1: I don't know. What, was it a screening room? Or was I don't a, know. I
0: don't know what it was down there.
1: People went down there and were never seen again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that, isn't that true? That building has all the rules and regulations where you can't put up a poster and you can't... Yep. You've got, It's got to be kept... The way that it was intended
1: to be. It was Norman Foster, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's Norman Foster. But like, you know, I paid you, Norman. I know. I'll put up a poster. (laughs) And it's supposed to look like a giant penis, isn't it, from the air? Oh, is it? That's the thing about it, yeah. I think the the whole, yeah. Oh, right. I I think so. I I, I've never flown over, I don't think. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> if I do, I'll tell you. <laughs> okay, well, let me know. I remember the canteen was quite cool. But even that was sort of, uh, it was quite hippie like in a way. They had a hippie thing going on. Didn't, and they? It, uh,
0: yeah, didn't the canteen open out onto kind of a garden? Yeah, and it, some... was,
1: it was a bit sort of poddy before pods became en vogue. Oh, yes, it was, wasn't it? Very yes, sort poddy. of like, yes, a little breakout meetings. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 Cool. So yeah. Cool. And then, of course, the, you know why TV Centre is the shape it is? Oh, that thing the yeah no okay so so obviously there's oh, what's it called i can't remember what it's called the um there's the, the circle bit but it's called something isn't it um but the reason it's round so you look at it from you stand outside the gate so you look at it it's round and then there's sort of there's a strip of building to the right yeah and it's because it's a question mark from the air Oh. Because when the architect was designing it, he he said, "I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what shape to make." This. So he put, it, he just drew a big question mark on a piece of paper, and that's why it's shaped like that.
0: Because yeah, didn't he do it on an envelope or something? They've got the, they've got the, they uh, got the yeah. yeah. But it's one of those things. I think also the the circle was that it was supposed to be egalitarian. You know, no one would have the corner office, and da 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 da. da. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing is that you everything,
1: it, you had to walk miles to get anywhere. It's the stupidest idea for a building. <laughs> It's so true And also uh, Even after working there for I don't know how many years It was in the end for me, but because it was circular and you had to walk forever, you, you never got to know the building.
0: No. So and you'd go the wrong way all the time. Yeah, and like trying to find your dressing room, yeah. it could be any one well, of these. If,
1: if you turned left instead of right, <laughs> your dressing room was next door. But if you went left, it was 359 <laughs> degrees next door, wasn't it? Yeah. And it, then you have a glass of wine after the show. Oh. Good luck. Oh, and the basement's even worse, because at least if you're on the
0: ground floor, yeah. you will eventually hit reception. But if you're in the basement, <laughs> you, can just, you can walk around in circles for Hours yeah. down there,
1: but it's so exciting, wasn't it? And, you know, first, first few weeks of the Beeb at TV Centre. I yeah. mean, that's a special place. It, it was. It, and you suddenly
0: realise the the kind of I don't know the responsibilities the as you were saying of go. of being on the BBC, uh, and you know, and also people just think you can do live television. Certainly, because I did. You know, I'd done a lot of television by the time I got there. And because the chat show sort of looks live, I think even television executives think Oh, Graham could do live TV. And then they put me on live TV. I've never done this before.
1: <laughs> People didn't counts in my ear. It's like being in your dad's car. And then he said one day, Well, you can drive it. You've been in it for twenty years. Yeah, but I've never driven it. You idiot. So so the um the combination, the the sort of the the heaven sent combination of Saturday mornings on Radio Two and Friday nights on BBC One. Obviously, that was an inheritance from Jonathan. Yeah. So, how much do we, how do we how do we talk about that? And um, well, what happened was uh,
0: the the radio.
1: Did the radio happen first? Yeah. Did it? Yeah, because you sat in for me on the breakfast show. Yes, I was up. Yes, I was. Uh, yeah, I was
0: your stand-in, and then and so which so did Jonathan leave Radio Two before he left the TV?
1: I think it was all, wasn't it all the same.
0: No, I think they were different. Right. So because I remember after the big scandal, yeah, I remember I was on his first show on the radio on the radio oh, no, back,
1: but the the TV was on a natural break. I think you know a summer break or a series break, and then they delayed the start of it. So he was still on the radio because all the kerfuffle was always outside Radio Two because he was still turning up for the Radio Two show, but he wasn't going to do his telly show. Oh, okay. I think.
0: I, I it's funny, isn't it? You, it was such a big thing at the time. Yeah. But, but I remember. Uh, I remember they offered me, the, the radio, and I turned it down. So I think maybe I'd already got the Friday night gig or or I knew that I was going to get the Friday night gig right. and I thought this is unseemly <laughs> just go around hoovering up yeah. uh, someone else's gigs and so I turned down the radio too and then they uh, they said oh please can we have a meeting, just a meeting one more meeting and I was say to my age, there's no point because I'm gonna say no, I'm gonna say no and they took me in and just gave me a really good pitch and said, look, it's a really good kind of backbone to a career that you've got this presence, Um, you know, and and whatever happens in TV. And at that stage, you know, I didn't really know what's happening in TV. So you've got this, and it's pretty good, and it's easy, and da-da-da-da-da. And I just, all right, yes, I will. So I did. And telly, I mean, there's kind of a weird run of things that happened to me in that, uh, you know Terry retired and I got given Eurovision and I think Jonathan would have got Eurovision I don't know that I just that's just me talking out loud but I think if the big scandal hadn't happened for Jonathan I think he would have inherited Eurovision I don't know um you know and obviously they won't tell you uh, congratulations you were a second choice but <laughs> but I was very uh, I was very. Ha- I was definitely going to always do that. I mean, I wanted that, and uh, you know, and I sort of. I was. I sort of said to my if Terry ever retires, I would love that gig. Um, and we were already doing a chat show on the BBC. Uh, we we'd started at BBC Two, then we'd moved to BBC One. We were doing a chat show on Monday nights, and then Jonathan was doing Friday nights, and we kind of bookended the week, and that all seemed fine, and then. When Jonathan's show ended, uh, I think um, it was Jay Hunt was in charge then. And she very publicly said, no. She, You know, I think somebody asked her, are you going to move Graham's show to Friday? And she went, no, that's not happening. So, you know, we were all like, oh, well, it's good. Nice to be told. <laughs> Thanks for telling us that. Um, and then I, somebody, I mean, she changed her mind. Um, and we were moved to Friday and, but it wasn't, we didn't, uh, really kind of, you know, uh, go after it. We didn't kind of pursue it. Cook hold yeah. yeah. Uh, we just, you know, when they said, do you want to go to Fridays? We were like, yeah, that will be good. Cause that's kind of where your big chat show should go. That's where, you know, we started on channel four.
1: What I was going to ask wasn't really about the background of it to be honest it was about that beautiful combination of having a friday night chat show on the telly and a saturday night sorry saturday morning radio show and the two in tandem i mean it is the dream pairing isn't it um well from the outside there you go there's a there's a fan speaking yes
0: i think maybe from the outside because actually in your working week uh there it's not that in that you know you do one on a Thursday yeah, yeah, yeah. and then one on a Saturday so they feel they feel quite separate um, and it's a different working environment it's a different way of working um
1: but you're so, in flow though aren't you because you've got the guests coming through and you match fit you know from actually let's talk about this i'll see what we'll do we'll talk about this okay you said um, uh-oh you said no sorry it's, <laughs> it's not that kind of interview i believe it's not that kind of conversation but you said Humorously, I think, um, in the noughties, you said, "You said the thing about me and a, a chat show, a chat show, and a, an interview guest is that you know I'm really terrible at coming up with questions, and I'm not at all interested in the answers." <laughs> and I, I thought, a, it's hilarious. B, it probably was true at the time. C, it can't be true now. Well, there's a
0: there's a level at which, it, you know what it's like when you meet a famous person. <laughs> It's interesting for, it's interesting for a minute that, you know, they they are who they are. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. And I am excited. You know, if a famous person walks, I'm excited. I'm excited to meet them, to shake their hand, just get it But after about a minute, then they're just some bloke or some woman. Yeah. And then they better be interesting or funny. Yeah, be any good. Yeah. Then, then they've got to be something else. Yeah. The, it, it's... You know the way. Like I think some people think that rich people are going to be interesting. They confuse uh, rich with interesting, and I think people often confuse famous with interesting, and and so does the person, if you know what I mean. <laughs> In that, because so does their agent. Well, yeah. Well, no, because it's that thing where their uh, very rich people are used to people listening to them. Yeah. Very famous people are used to people listening to yeah. them. Um. Like I remember the first meeting. I had for the chat show back in Channel 4 and uh, we all sat around it was the team and Graham was there and da, da, da. and it was all fine with chatting away and but I noticed that if I went well I just think everyone went quiet and looked at me and and it was such an odd feeling that somehow what I said had more weight than what other people said in this room now that probably still happens, but I don't know anymore, and that's, and because you'd be crazy to still know that, you know, it's been twenty-two years, so of course I've got used to that in a meeting, but, but it probably does still happen. I don't know. I do you remember that moment of realizing, oh, I'm, I'm in charge?
1: Well, I made the the gross error of thinking that i was the most interesting person in the room and that's why they were quiet for a few years <laughs> i didn't realize because it, it's obviously the reason you but you were older and wiser you you're older you're wiser beyond your years compared to me anyway but no, i did confuse the two it's because it's for a while and yeah. now i find that the best way to you know because it it does still go on sometimes i've got to say the team here <laughs> i hope <laughs> i hope they tell me like it is and what i do is i try and orchestrate Moments and windows, and I, I say, look, this is this. If you like me as a colleague, do me a favour and tell me what you think, because otherwise it gets very lonely, and you begin to recognise the loneliness of it. Um, it's just not good. It's just not healthy. But then I've got to say, then we go to the pub. And nobody gives a stuff who you after a couple of <laughs> beers, and that that's why we go to the pub on a regular basis, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. does help. It really helps. Yeah, because you've got to hold your own in those. You've got to be. You've got to be funny. You've got to be interesting, or shut up.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. Um, and that actually, what's weird is you, that we don't really get that release anymore. That kind of because we can't go to the pub.
1: <laughs> oh, you can definitely go to the pub now. Now that you can work here with us. Oh, really? oh, okay. Yes, we have several pubs that
0: that are what. But I meant now, as in kind no, of... no, now. Oh, really? Yeah, no, all COVID compliant.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There are ways. Scotch eggs away. Scot- yeah, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a funny headline, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Ten pints of lager and a Scotch egg, please. <laughs> yeah. That was hilarious. Oh goodness me! Uh, right, so where where have we been? Where are we now? Okay, so so you you have your ten years yeah your ten years with the radio show on Radio Two and the TV show on BBC One together. Uh, you know, beautiful, a beautiful sort of balance of the best and the biggest in broadcasting, both on the radio and on the telly, and now one of them sort of is coming to an end. When you first went to the BBC and you told them that you were going to leave, I know there was this this lag between then announcing you were coming here. And so what did? how did you feel going onto the air? Because 10 years a long time on that show. And that show's been good to you and you've been good to that show. It's been a win-win for everyone concerned, including the audience. How did you feel going onto the air again? Because it's, it's all right thinking, you know, oh, this is one thing or another when it's ongoing. But when you've, you've decided to put a date on when it's going to end. That does change your relationship with the situation.
0: It it does. And it's like, you know, it, it's like you can, uh, you enjoy your job till you know you've got a holiday coming up and then suddenly you're counting the days to the holiday. So it that slightly happened, you know, that after I announced suddenly, you, you I, really you should just walk out the door. You should just go, Uh, But I will be leaving. I'm leaving. (laughs) There we go. I'm gone. Uh, Because there is a slight sense of, you know, come on, you know, we can't pretend that everything's normal because it's not. Uh, I'm out of here. Which is, and and after 10 years, you know, there are bits of it I'll miss. Uh, I won't miss climbing six flights of stairs (laughs) to the studio for under COVID compliance. Uh, That is exhausting. You know, I cycle to work and then I've got to face six flights of stairs. So I've got a couple more shows left and that is all I'm doing is just counting those flights of stairs thinking never again. Um, And the audience, you know, hopefully some of the audience will come with us, but uh, that sense of it being the BBC, you know, addressing the nation, um, uh, I wonder, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'll miss that. So long as I, you know, so long as I get the sense that someone's listening to me yeah, here, yeah. Oh, no, you <laughs> then, will. then, then I'll, then I think I'll, I'll still enjoy it. Um, and also I, you know, just being around people. It's quite, I, I like going to work. I like yeah, being around people.
1: Yeah. It's cool here. It's cool. Here. Um, on your desert on this, you, you chose, uh, I think nearly half of them were, um, were country and Western songs. Um, uh, and they they are by definition melancholic. And That's
0: interesting. I did not know that.
1: Yeah, I think there were th- there were three three out of the eight, and then the other one was at seventeen. You know that song?
0: Oh yes, Um, um Janice Ian,
1: which is an amazing song. <sighs> um,
0: Inventing lovers on the phone. Yeah, I, I mean, know. It's just it's so beautifully observed.
1: So looking f- looking forward to 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 your relationships back then when you fell in love with that song. Looking back now. Um, how is that? How is the dating game for a very successful gay man um, that is is known nationwide and and further? That's got to be tough, hasn't it? I mean, I think. I mean, I think
0: dating for anyone is is difficult. Yes, I also think it's a thing that uh, the older <laughs> the older you get, the less right you have to be picky. And yet <laughs> the pickier you become.
1: It's the opposite of being young.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah, so, exactly. I mean. When you're young, you can hey, have anyone no, and wall, you do. The walls are closing in here. <laughs> <laughs> this is not fair. So it's kind of it yeah, there's some sort of weird Venn diagram.
1: <laughs> this is funny.
0: Uh in in dating.
1: What about Philip Schofield? What about Philip Schofield? Well, potential... should I date him? Yeah, I was gonna say Come on. I'm not sure. Just go for a safe date. Go <laughs> a on. A safe date. Go for a walking date. They're all the rage nowadays. Are they? Yeah, you go for a walking date. God.
0: Um, I, I imagine Pip, Pip has some secret boyfriend squirreled away somewhere. I'm sure he has. I what? don't know Pip. I call him Pip, I don't know why I'm calling Philip Schofield Pip.
1: You know, he's done a podcast with us. I knew, yes. Yeah, he was fantastic, by the way. So
0: does he have a a secret boyfriend? Uh, Not that
1: I'm aware of, no. Not that I'm aware of at all.
0: But, um, you know, I remember what it was like keeping that secret when I was a kid. I was going to say. To keep that secret for, you know, presumably, I don't know, 30, 40 years. What that does to you, that's kind of, it's so... So strange
1: well he says he says, and I believe him because I've stared stared in the white of his eyes um he says he didn't know until a lot more recently than that okay, and he's talked to people about it he said he said and he said you know as you knew when you knew and how you knew yeah, yeah. you didn't know the day before you knew
0: no I mean there are no rules in this, this thing. thing yeah except I suppose the only thing is uh, when I didn't know it's I didn't know because I didn't know what it was. Right. You know, I I wasn't aware of sexuality or you know, or even a, or the spectrum of sexuality. I didn't understand. You know, you could be attracted to different people. Da, 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 da. But I guess as you get older, you uh, you you've got more of a vocabulary for all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So y- you should be able to name things. But then, but there, like I say, there are no rules there, and and there's no. There's no right time to come out. I think people talk about coming out as a very simplistic thing. Um, You know, I've come out now. And, of course, you don't. You know, you constantly have to come out. You know, even now, like, I'm, you know, I'm kind of as gay and as famous (laughs) as you can get. And even now, I'll still be in the back of a cab and the cab driver will make some comment about, you know, the first sunny day and the women wearing flimsy dresses or short skirts or low tops or something. And as a gay man in the back of the taxi, you've got to make a decision. Will I come out <laughs> to this man or will I just nod and smile and hope the, the conversation changes? So that, you know, those, you have to constantly make that decision yeah, yeah. Uh, about, you know, do I come out to my postman? Does he really need to know? You know, he, he, it's. All, I think it's on a need-to-know basis. And I guess Philip Schofield got to a point where he felt, you know, people needed to know.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, he was unbearable in the end, I suppose. But um, when Matt Lucas came on to talk about his life, he said that he, he found at the time that the way you did it was you come out as bi first. Oh yeah, everyone and then gay. That. Yeah, everyone And there's a that. phrase, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Bi now, gay later. Oh, is that it? A- <laughs> <laughs> I just love.
0: It's very good.
1: So did you come out as bi first? Yeah, you
0: know, everybody comes out as Who bi first. Who did you first. tell
1: first? Well, I did a kind of weird
0: thing because I went to San Francisco and then I had a girlfriend at San Francisco. Um, I know, such a rebel. <laughs> That's me. I never want to fit in. So I... I would
1: got a San Francisco to get a girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah, I had a girlfriend. It's
0: And But I also had an affair with um, one of the hippies, a man hippie. Is that Mr. Help? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, who, uh, he wasn't gay. I don't even think he was bisexual, but I think he felt he ought to. <laughs> I think he felt he ought to uh, have sex with everyone in the commune. Uh, so hang
1: on, no need for masturbating.
0: Everybody's just shagging. No, exactly. Yeah, there was a lot of that I going see. on. I see. Yeah.
1: Don't masturbate, just shag.
0: Um, so then when I came back to London, everyone just, everyone just assumed I was gay. So I was gay. <laughs> and... And I was gay. I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't gay like, Norton. yeah, it wasn't like people got me wrong. Oh, you've got me so wrong. Yes, I seem a little effete, but actually I'm, I'm, you know, a burning heterosexual. Uh, no, you know, they thought I was gay and I was gay. Yeah. And then, you know, a few people set me up on dates and, and, you know, I was working in restaurants. So I'm, lots of gay men and gay friends. And suddenly th- you've got a world, you've got a tribe. Um, and so I never, yeah, so I never felt like the, the struggle of it in a way. I didn't, you know, because I I came out in a world that was immediately accepting. Um, you know, there, there's that... Uh, do you know the old comic Sam Kinison? Yeah,
1: of course,
0: I do yeah, yeah. So Sam Kinison used to do this routine about famine. Yeah, and he, you know, he was a real angry, shouty scream. comic. He used to yeah, scream. he would scream, and he would do this. The, he would do this routine about famine, and his big the thing he would go like, "Move where the food is. yeah <laughs> uh, you, know, you live in a desert. Move where the food is." And, and so I moved where the gays were. That's you know because in London. There were lots of them, you know, so, uh, you know, particularly in the
1: right pond. Yeah. So
0: particularly in that world, in working, you know, working in restaurants in central London, you know, the bars were there, the clubs were there, the friends were there. It was a a ready made uh, gay world. Yeah. Um, And I'm so glad that I was out before I had any public profile, because I think that must be. Such a weird thing of having to decide. Um, I remember I had dinner with Barry Manilow, and Barry Manilow came out to me at the dinner. Now, as you go that's very hard to choose a facial expression for that news because you don't want to be rude and kind of go, duh. <laughs> so, uh, and I feel I can talk about this because he has come out now. He is publicly gay. And
1: we all thought, duh. Yeah,
0: but for years... Yeah. You know, he wasn't. He he was very. You know, his private life was very private, but he he sort of took me into his confidence, and like that's to me that's sort of insane that Barry Manilow is having still, he's having those conflict conflicts in his head about what will my fans think, yeah. and you know, and presumably, uh, you know, there are fans. Who were shocked? I don't. I don't know. Haven't met one. I wouldn't have thought so. But people thought Liberace was straight till the end. So you know, who knows? Yeah, but different times. That yes, that was a different time. Yeah.
1: Let's just a couple more things, a couple more subjects, if you don't mind. Mm. Um, stand-up comedy, right? So, so I've heard stand-up comedians. You mentioned Sam Kenderson, one of the greatest ever. Mm. You know, and I've heard Kevin Hart talking in similar um, similar thought process to, to what I'm about to describe. The way that. Amazing, you know, top flight stand up comedians talk about crafting an hour, you know, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. Do, do, the, do I get a rolling laugh? Yeah, but it was a bar. So I'll play a, a place with a, a, a bigger place where the laughs have got to, got to be bigger to last long enough. Then I'll play a theater, then I'll go back to a bar. And, you know, they really, especially in America, you know, different kettle of fish in America, you know that. Um, and it seems so difficult, brilliantly difficult, you know. And the attention to detail seems to be so sort of particular. Yet again, you you've 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 saw that arena, haven't you? You've done arena tours.
0: No, I no. thought
1: I thought you had done arena. No, I
0: did do a big tour, but it was big theaters. It was like three thousand. Okay, well, it's yeah. still
1: three thousand. Yeah, yeah, right. You still got you still got to have some stuff to say. Again, you seem to wear this sort of. Burden of expectation or content, you know, quite lightly. Or again, am I just am I just rose tinted spectacles here? No, I think
0: I knew that I was getting away with it. I, you know, I was I was on the comedy circuit. I worked with comics, and I knew I wasn't them. I could do it. Just, I wasn't a comic you know comics are a breed apart the the thing that i liked doing best was comparing i love being the compare um you know whereas you know proper comics don't because they want to go do another gig and get paid again or and then do another gig and get paid again so th- that's the proper working comic. Yeah, and
1: they don't have to clean up after a bad act or yeah things yeah like that.
0: Um, whereas i love being the compare because if i was doing well great but if you hate me, I don't care because I'm about to bring someone on, and uh, <laughs> presumably you'll like them. So I, you know, me being bad has helped the 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 act that I'm about to bring on. So that's what I enjoyed, and I and also I always enjoyed messing with the audience. That was the thing I liked the best was just talking to the crowd and doing doing all that uh, the you know the audience work. That was where I was more most comfortable. Um, and you know, I had a couple of. Good bits, um, uh, but nah, I was never a closer. You would I, and I knew you know, and I'm not stupid. You know, I'm aware of that. You know, you you see some, you know, the really good people. You know, like a Steve Gribben or a Al Murray or somebody, and they are guaranteed. You are know, kidding? they will they will bring the house down. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I would make. You know, I could move some furniture inside the house, but I would never bring the house but down. But you
1: sold out a theatre tour. I mean, yeah,
0: and 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 I think that that's a different thing, and and that was a skill that I'd learnt. I think from Edinburgh was doing an hour and how to shape an hour. Right. The thing I wasn't any good at was shaping a twenty-minute set. That's what I was bad at. Um, whereas it, when you're doing an hour, what's you know, you you come on, you do a few quick jokes, then you can get into a story. And, you know, and I liked the longer form. I liked doing an hour because, and also people had paid to see you. Uh, It's a bit like, you know, you're talking about an audience, a loyal audience. If people have paid to see you, there's an expectation that they like you already, Yeah, yeah. that they, they, they They they, don't
1: want to not laugh.
0: Yeah. They haven't paid money to kind of go, I wonder what he's like. Yeah, you know what I mean.
1: But they've
0: come kind of going, oh, come on, let's go. Yeah, Yeah, great. Oh, I do like him, and uh, yeah, he wasn't quite as funny as I thought he'd be, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't a total waste of money. Three beers, (laughs) yeah. So I think that's where I was in in stand up, and you know, it's interesting that people like uh, Alan Davies, I think, fell out of it, fell out of love with it, but then fell back in love with it, and now he does it again. But someone like Phil Jupitus he fell out of love with it and I think he stayed out of love with it. I don't think he, I think he, he writes and things now. He doesn't, I don't think he does stand up anymore. Maybe he does. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he does, uh, act, or maybe, actually, maybe he does kind of art center. Maybe he does those hour shows, yeah, yeah, but he certainly doesn't do like, stand up clubs. I don't think anymore. Um, and I can see, yeah, I, I it's tough. Stand up is tough. If you're doing that circuit stuff of doing comedy clubs you know some people love it i just watched the have you watched the comedy store the la comedy store documentary amazing i mean it's a brilliant documentary and i loved i mean i'm i'm a real geek about that world and all of that so i love hearing about it but it doesn't make me think
1: i want to i want to do that
0: i'm i'm very happy not doing it
1: there's a gang there isn't there's an obsessive gang and they had they tear it up yeah and it's it's their science yeah, it is their science science? And the Royal Academy of the Yeah,
0: and, and I was, what's interesting is the respect they have for people who've never made it out of that club.
1: Yeah.
0: Though you know, those weird old guys who yeah. are doing those kind of terrible acts, you know, at one o'clock in the morning and they're there every night. But the comics have such respect for them yeah, because yeah. they've kept going.
1: The Founding Fathers. Yeah. What, yeah. Was the name Rita that owned it? I can't remember. Uh uh
0: it's the old uh, lady. Mitzi, Shore. Mitzi Shore. That's Mitzi right. Shore.
1: That's right. Um, so, worries, right? Because this is how to act. So people listen to you, We, you know, you and I, we're still here. We're having a go. We're loving it. <laughs> tearing it up, in my mind anyway. Um, and literally can't can't wait to get out of bed every day. That's how I feel. Honestly, Monday, through Friday, I love it. Um, and I worry less and less about things. You, again, you know, and I don't know you that well at all, but you have always seemed to be pretty good with worry. Can you give me and people... Um, your take on worry?
0: Um, well, I think with one of the gifts of being older, and, you know, there aren't many perks, but one of the perks <laughs> is is recognising patterns in your life. Right. So it doesn't take a worry away, mm. or it doesn't take heartbreak away, or it doesn't take, any, you know, the badness away, the grief away or anything. But knowing that actually you are going to come out the other side of this. This isn't the end. You know, like when you're young everything seems like literally the end of the world. Yes. You know, I I got fired or I did something or I you know, I lost, you know, whatever, just terrible things happen to you. Yeah. And you just think I'm not I'm not sure I know how to get past this. I'm not sure if I will get past this. And as you get older, you do know that you will get past it. So you still worry and you uh, you you still have your heart broken and things, but you don't get stuck in that moment. Yeah. And I think that's what can happen to young people is you get stuck in the moment. Now, having said that, I think there's a weird thing as you get older, older, you start to worry about everything. Certainly that's my, I was with friends last night and we were talking about this and my mother does it where she will, she if we're planning something, she will start worrying about that. You know, it's say we're planning something to do something at Christmas. She'll start worrying about it in April. And that isn't who she was. You know, she was perfectly capable woman, you know, raised kids, ran a house, did that you know but now worry seems to stop her. And a lot of people say, Oh yeah, my father does that, my mother does it. It's it's clearly something that happens to us as we get older. I dunno.
1: Well, one of the one of the skills of thought on that is the fact that As you get older, each year is less of a fraction of your life. So May to December for your mum might seem like next week to us. So maybe it's just a chronological, psychological chronological thing. Yeah. Who knows? I don't, but
0: it's, it's, yeah, it's so odd. I remember a friend of my uh, mother's and she would, she knew she was doing it. Like if you'd go to her house, she'd be making like three cups of coffee and putting biscuits on a plate and she was aware of how stressed she was trying to trying to just get that together yeah, yeah. and she be and she be talking about it while she was doing it and she was going i i would cook dinner parties for 12 people you know almost like looking at the table yeah, yeah. to like where the ghosts of people were and but not like thinking how did i do that i am now defeated by three cups of coffee and a, and a plate of biscuits yeah. And I don't, I, yes, so we must all look out for that.
1: (laughs) We must all look out for that, but also we must look to people like, you know, Sir Paul McCartney and Rod Stewart and Roger Daltrey, who I've talked to recently, um, because they are smashing it, you know. John Lennon would have been 80. Yeah. You know, today's the 40th anniversary of his death. He would have been 80 this year. Paul McCartney is 78, you know, and it's got to be an attitude of mind. It has to be, doesn't it? Well, I think some people
0: are like an ad for being old you know uh like Nicholas Parsons before he died yeah. he was extraordinary i mean he really was he was on it he knew what was going on um he loved performing he loved you know working him in, out in the world um who else did i talk to recently um oh Sheila Hancock yeah Sheila Hancock's another one who is just like an ad i was like if that's if that's being that age then count me in June Brown June Brown, another one. Yeah. Um, you know, but but the fact that we can name these people suggests
1: <laughs> the, the exception that, that proves that, the rule.
0: It's uncommon.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: we all just kind of you know do this. We just cross our fingers and hope that we you know that we when when we grow up we're Sheila Hancock, uh, not when we grow up we're you know Bob from Number Seventeen.
1: <laughs> it's funny because that sounds like you might be getting interested in your guests. Be careful.
0: Oh well, I know. What I, but as people. You know, th- yeah. those are as people I'd yeah. be interested in them.
1: No, but so, so I'm not trying to catch you. I'm just saying, I'm saying, because you are good at interviewing, you know, and you did say that way back when. And we've all said things yeah. that were definitely true at the time and just definitely aren't true now because that's life. Yeah. From all you guests, such a cliche question, but I don't give a monkeys. Favourite guests of all time, top three. By the way, I won't hold you to them. You can change them as
0: well. Oh, yeah, no, I, and I will. I mean, the, the well, you know what it's like because they, they, you're looking for different things.
1: I'm going to write one down and see if I get it right. Karen, talking. Oh, OK. okay I'm going to write one down.
0: OK, so there's the very famous people.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, um And they're kind of the big stars, so you get something. They bring something with them. Um, then there's the surprises. And I have to say, I think... I prefer doing interviews on the radio than TV because there's there's more time on the radio and there's kind of less pressure. And I think often the guest forgets that people are listening. Yeah. Whereas if you're in a TV studio, you know you're on a show. You're never going to kind of suddenly get emotional or you're never going... You know, those moments... They can happen occasionally, but it they need to be one of those kind of long yeah. form A
1: different version of that person walks into a TV studio.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or actually, do you know what who's good at those long form interviews? Piers, Piers Morgan, Morgan. Piers He Morgan. does a very good job at those hours. As good as it gets, to yeah. be honest. Just um, come a
1: bit close to your mic again. Oh sorry,
0: sorry, sorry, sorry. Um he I think he does a very good hour, but on TV, you know, that's not what my show's about. Whereas on the radio, you can um you you can get to those places. Um Like I remember uh, Mary Berry uh, was on the show and we were chatting and I, you know, I get them to choose a song. What have you chosen and why? And she said the phrase, I had a son. And when she said that, I welled up. She welled up. And because her son died a long time ago, she thought she'd be okay. She thought I I can talk about this. And in that moment, I mean, when she was going to introduce Rod Stewart sailing because he loved boats, and I mean, it was just oh, and those moments are really special, and you feel like you've you've shared a proper intimate moment with someone, and that never happens on TV. (laughs) You know, you have a lovely time and you have a laugh.
1: More intimate moment with the makeup (laughs) lady. Yes. (laughs) Uh,
0: Whereas those things on the yeah, um, I I. I was going to name, who's the nun who used to do the art? Sister oh, Mary, God. Wendy, Wendy. Yeah, Sister Wendy. Sister Wendy.
1: Bloody hell, forgot about her.
0: Um, She was on the radio once.
1: Jeez.
0: And and that, you know, I forgot where I was. You know, the world became yeah. so small, it just became the two of us. And she has this little, you know, she was like a sort of Beatrix Potter character, just, you know, her little voice and da-da. And, but mesmerizing. me. I, you know, I'm not religious in any way, but talking to Sister Wendy was a religious experience. Yeah, it, yeah. it it was sort of transcendental. It was extraordinary. Um, so those are kind of the interviews I, lo- I love, but they're not, you know, I, I probably wouldn't want to go out for dinner with Sister Wendy. <laughs> Maybe I would. I don't know. <laughs> uh, she also, you know, let's big up Delia Smith. Uh, do you know the story about Sister Wendy and Delia Smith? No. So, um... Sister Wendy lived in a caravan in this at the back of a convent, and and it was somewhere out in Norfolk somewhere, and she had to get to hospital every week. But for months she had to go for this appointment every week. Uh, and she went to the mother superior and went, "Who? How will I get to the hospital? Who? Who? How will I get there?" And the mother superior rang Delia Smith, who lives close by, and Delia picked her up and drove her to the hospital and drove (laughs) her home every week for months. And more people should know that.
1: (laughs) They bloody well should. Because isn't that what a lovely thing to do. And
0: such a, you know, and like, it it wasn't (laughs) like she was on, it wasn't like she was on the one show, kind of going, look at me, I'm driving. It was just a lovely, quiet act of kindness. And I only know because Sister Wendy told me.
1: Doesn't everybody know that story? Yeah, isn't that lovely? It's the best. It's the yeah. best story um, that I've yeah. never heard. So big up Delia Smith. Absolutely. Yeah. I write down Dolly Parton.
0: Oh, well, actually, Dolly Parton would be one of my favorite guests.
1: Well, it wasn't. You're just it, saying that uh, to make yeah. me feel better well, about no, my guests. No, guess. no, it, Like
0: uh, I do adore Dolly Parton. Miriam Margulies would be another favorite guest. You know, there are those great, those great guests. Cher is another one. I love Cher.
1: You had the audacity to choose your duet with Dolly Parton as one of your own Desert Island Discs. <laughs> You naughty boy. Graham Naughty. <laughs> uh, well, you know,
0: no one else is going to be using it. So, <laughs> Will you be bringing it to Virgin? I, I could take the only copy to the uh, desert island.
1: This is true. This happened, didn't it?
0: Yes. Um, we did uh, a documentary uh, for Channel 4. Uh, that I mean, talk about how lovely Channel 4 were. <laughs> Would you like to make a documentary? Yes, please. Could I go to Dollywood <laughs> with Dolly Parton And get paid for it. And yeah. get paid for it. So off we went. And uh, part of it was she'd just opened Dolly Splash Country, which you have to say very carefully, uh, next door to Dollywood. So she wanted to feature it in the documentary Mm. because, you know, Dolly Parton is a businesswoman. On top of everything else she is, she is a businesswoman. So she wants to get the word out that she had a, a water park. So... Uh, she suggested, but this was her idea, she suggested that uh, the two of us would bob around a kind of, you know, one of those lazy rivers yep. that they have in water parks, yeah, yeah. us in two rubber rings duetting on islands in the stream. And <laughs> it happened. We did it. And even when we got there to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and we arrived at the water park with our cameras, and I'm there in kind of my wetsuit, and everyone who worked there was going, sorry, Dolly's getting in the water. <laughs> and we, yeah. And everyone's like shaking their heads. We're like, no, It was her idea. We didn't come up with this. We didn't ask her. This was her idea. She emerges from her trailer in a wetsuit, presumably a custom-made wetsuit, um, with a, a special wet wig. Um <laughs> Well, a kind of a, a loose proof what well, it was kind of a loose it looked like she'd been swimming oh, so but it funny. was yeah a special so funny uh, special week and then but the really interesting thing was she had to wear these high-heeled mules all the way to the edge of the water because she's been wearing those high heels for so many years mm. like something's happened to the muscles of back, back of her legs kidding so if she if she tries to stand flat, she will just fall backwards. Oh my goodness! If she puts her heels because down, they're shortened. yeah, she just falls backwards. So she has to oh no. stand on tippy toe all the time. So I guess it was a relief to be uh, in, a, in a rubber ring bobbing around. A well, lazy you had, river. Did you have
1: singing lessons for it? Um, I did.
0: I went, but you know, I went to the lady who did the Spice Girls. So you know, my expectations were uh, it, stadium-like. Uh, yeah. Now, what was her name? Um, uh, she had a great name, Pepe or, I don't know, Pepe, It was a very good name, um, but out in the country, but anyway, I did do some singing lessons, you would not know to hear it, that wow. I did singing lessons, but I did. That is very impressive. Uh, but it was, it was a, you know, that's a, sort of a pinch me moment, that I'm duetting with Dolly Parton.
1: You nearly died once, didn't you?
0: I did. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but a lot, I mean, 80, 1988,
1: did that have a profound effect on you? it did
0: uh you know because it was a long time ago, I sort of you know can be glib about it now, but uh it it put a lot of life into perspective, and I think it's uh, I think you know, I was going into my last year of drama school, and i'd been i and I'd been stabbed. And I'd lost over half my blood, and you know, I was in hospital for a couple of weeks, and you know, with funny drains kind of out of my side, and you know, because my lung, it had internal bleeding, so my lung had collapsed and things. And it was all, you know, bad. And but what was great was people got so kind of sucked into. Uh, That last year of drama school, you know, the casting and who got an agent and and this and that. And I'm sort of sitting in the corner going, I nearly died. So I'm really just happy to be here. Uh, So I'll play the waiter. I'll, you know, I'll play the old man at the back of this thing. I really don't care. And I think it made me. Brave in an odd way, or fearless? Yes, like yes, maybe a little bit fearless. Not at the t- at the time, like when I came out of like, and I don't think I spoke to anyone. I think I was offered some counselling, and I didn't take it because, of course, you know, I'm a kid. Why would I need counselling? I'm alive. Look at me. I'm fine. But I remember when I came out of hospital, and I lived in Queen's Park, uh, at the top of Queen's Park, and. I remember being in the park, and someone just walking towards me, and I remember like having a, f- a sort of freak out, uh, just that someone was walking towards me. So you know that's not right. I th- I think I should have I should have seen a counsellor at the time, but I didn't. Um, so there was that level of not. So I wasn't fearless in that level. Uh, I was very timid and and frightened to be out in the world and yeah. walking around. But somehow, emotionally, yeah. it made me sort of fatalistic, because what would be, would be. I I remember uh, that year I went to uh, Greece. I went to Mykonos, and but I hadn't planned it. I got a flight to Greece, and then I was going to. I went to the ferry port, and I would just get on the first, whatever the first boat was. I would get on, go there, and stay. So first boat was going to make Mykonos. I get on the boat. I'm talking to some guy and he's going, oh, so, you know, where have you booked to stay? And I said, oh, I haven't booked anything. I'm just going to find something. And he went, you do realize this is a big, like, bank holiday weekend in Greece. Like, everything's booked. So sure enough, everything was booked. I ended up at a camping site with no tent. Um, and that's where I slept. And I would leave my bag there on the ground all day with my passport in it. Um, just thinking, oh well, if it's gone, it's gone. And it wasn't. It would every night I'd come back and it would be there. And that was my this weird post stabbing holiday where it was almost like I was willing the world to do something terrible to me again. Yeah. You know, I was lying on the ground, uh, like with a towel over me, um, and just leaving all my belongings there every day, waiting, you know, like waiting for someone to nick them. Um and and so I don't know what that's about, but it's some sort of, yeah, it, it's some sort of kind of going, oh, well, if something bad happens, something bad happens. Yeah. There you go. You, there's nothing There's nothing I can do to prevent the bad stuff happening to me. So I'm just going to go, why worry? There you go. Back to why worry.
1: Yeah, it's funny because that that explains so much to me. And when you were talking about it, you had your arms wide open. You, your body language could not be more positive. You were literally like this with oh, your wow. hands above your head. Um, Was it a passerby that saved you?
0: Well, now, here's a weird thing. So I... Once you realise you've been stabbed, and, you know, that thing in Shakespeare where people go, uh, I've been run through, uh, and you always thought, oh, that's because they'd no special effects, you know, they'd no little blood exposure or something. But actually, it's the John Lennon thing. You know, his last words were, I think, I've been shot. Because your adrenaline is so high that when you look down... And you see a hole in you. You you in a you just go. I've been stabbed. You like it's. You're telling yourself that this thing has happened. So once you realise, oh, I've been stabbed, then I'm like, okay, this is bad. I I, I can't go home. This isn't a band aid. I need help. So I was ringing doorbells and shouting, and nobody came, and then I and then you're very tired, so the temptation is to lie down and to sleep, but you kind of go, I can't do that, I've got to keep going. And then this door opened, and there was a little old couple uh, at the door, and I stood, at the little short garden path, and I stood by the gate, and I lifted my t-shirt, and <laughs> went, I'm like, I must have been covered in blood, but I lifted my t-shirt and pointed, and went, I've been stabbed. And, uh, they they helped me they called the the thing but the and it's and so many so many kind of really kind of profound things happen in that in those moments so i'm lying on the doormat um waiting for something to happen and you know and and this isn't conscious i didn't think about it but I remember um, saying to the old lady, can you hold my hand? And she looked shocked. She looked kind of like taken aback, but sort of went, okay. And she did. And that must be such a basic human thing that, and it must drive so much of our life in terms of relationships, in terms of uh, friendships, and where we don't want to die alone. That that is such a kind of, a primitive thing in us that we we want to be with someone when we die and because you know I, like that what, I do not want to hold people's hands it's not something i do uh, but in that moment lying on that doormat i did um and i guess that's revealing about who we all are that you know we're not as as independent and as strong and as you know Resilient as we think we are, that actually you you do. It's a it's a really basic thing that we want other people in our lives. Connection. Yeah.
1: Community. Wow. And um, did you think you might die? Then is that why?
0: Well, because um, the I was going in and out of call, and I did. I, so I didn't know that I was dying. Right. But you know, as your blood leaves your body, it is your life force. So you you get very tired, and it's like you're going to go to sleep for a very long time. And then as I was coming in and out of consciousness, um, the police arrived before the ambulance. And uh, I remember just hearing a policeman saying, we better wait for the ambulance. They'll be held to pay if he carks it in the back of the van. And you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, this, is, oh goodness, this isn't me. good. <laughs> uh, so that that's when I kind of, I, you know, somewhere in my brain I knew, This is serious. But then, here's the weird thing. So the other night I was doing a Zoom charity event uh, for this marketing something. I don't know what it was. And uh, Peter York, you know, who wrote The Guide to the Sloan Ranger. He invented the Sloan Ranger back in the 80s. Um, He claims he called the ambulance. That he lived on that street in 1988. And he called the ambulance.
1: And he wouldn't make that up.
0: Well, why would you? I mean, yeah, it's would. such a random thing to... Because he'd have had to know on what street it was and everything, yeah. Well, God bless him. Yeah. Isn't that I mean, I'm sure the old people did call an ambulance. I'm sure the old man didn't just go in and you, you stay with him. <laughs>
1: I'm what going back to bed. But it certainly puts, um, you know, ratings that are a bit off one week in perspective, doesn't it? And, that's... It,
0: it, and I
1: don't... You know, it's only
0: if I'm doing an interview or something, sometimes yeah, it came up. but it's up there or, though, isn't it? Yeah, but it,
1: I guess it's... it.
0: I think it... I mean. It, that that should never happen to anybody and it's an awful thing. But for me, it did happen at a very... If I was going to learn that lesson, it was a great moment to learn that lesson yeah. in. To be, you know, 20, whatever I was, 24, 25. Uh, to be just starting out on a career in kind of the, the wider form of this industry. It was a very good time to be told, none of this matters.
1: Yeah. Right, let's wrap up. Okay, so you're coming to Virgin Radio. Yay! January the 9th. Yes. 9.30 to 12.30. And the 10th. Yeah, and the 10th as well. <laughs> and I understand you wanted to finish at 12.30 so you could go for a lovely Sunday lunch at 1. Well,
0: that's what I thought. i thought very civilised. I thought 12.30, I still have my day. Yes, of course you do. I wouldn't have done much before 12.30 anyway. Right. So it's, an it's you know, and I'm right there. The clouds are lifting. I can see my house again. Uh so I so now I'm I'm rejoining. You are back on. <laughs> I'm back on now. Thank God. Now for that, that I can see my house again. Isn't
1: that funny? Had it been a misty and cloudy day when you came here a few weeks ago, this could never have happened. I th- think this honest, might never have happened.
0: Genuinely, Chris, I think that
1: Yeah. Because being up here in the blaring
0: morning sun <laughs> is a kind of a magical thing. It's yeah, but, gorgeous. But
1: again, it's back to your fate, isn't it? Fate. Fate. You get that whole thing about, you know. You go to San Francisco. You don't intend to stay there. You go as a gay man who's really only just come out. A young gay man. The first thing you see is this trailer of... Of, of drag queens, drag queens singing whatever they were singing, <laughs> and then you know when you are in the middle of the the, the gay the, the gayest place in the whole world, wide world, you get a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> you nut job. Just to be sure. <laughs> Just to be sure. <laughs> to be sure. <laughs> to be <laughs> sure. All right. Well, I'm glad you you seem sure about coming. Well, here. thank you very much, Chris,
0: for um, making this happen.
1: Well, I didn't. Well, but you I did. Well, I, you know, I re- it's all down to you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. I mean, literally, it <laughs> no, is. But I'm, I
1: might get the blame. <laughs> no, well, that's true too. Yeah,
0: it's all down to you
1: for the moment. Yeah, yeah. If it goes really well. Well,
0: yeah, it was my idea. It was a, it was a clever, yeah. clever game plan he, I had.
1: Evans always says that. <laughs> Thank you, Graham. Cheers. That was Graham Norton. Isn't he great, Graham Norton? He should be great. Of Norton. And today's show has been brought to you by Athletic Greens. Go to athleticgreens.com/slash how to wow now. And if you do input the how to wow bit of that URL, you will get a free year supply of vitamin D and five travel free sachets today. That's their special offer to you by us, athleticgreens.com/slash how to wow. Have a great one. See you next time. Ta-da! Oh, and by the way, I will be in conversation with Graham Norton at Life Lessons if you want to come. LifeLessonsfestival.com for tickets. Toodle bit.